It's a wonderful thing to be a child in the eyes of God, is it not? I praise the Lord that each day we can go to him with childlike faith. We can lay all our cares before him, all our wants, all our needs. And as it would say in Steps to Christ, page 100, that he hears us as if we were the only person in the world to hear what an amazing God, so attentive to our needs. I invite you to bow your head with me as I kneel and pray. Gracious, loving Father, as we come to you this morning, we, we long to hear your voice. We long to receive words of encouragement, strength, and hope as we live in a world that is broken and, and fast growing in chaos. But Lord, this morning, as we open your word, direct our eyes to the heavenly throne that we may live above all the chaos with hope and joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. About six years ago, I was just coming back from school. My wife and I went to Oregon. We went out there to study for the ministry and uh, we just got back into Berrien Springs, and we had several calls that we were looking into and praying our way through this journey and where God would have us go. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine. Uh, he's a member here at this church, John Hinkle. And he said, um, you know, this morning I was scrolling through my phone and praying, Lord, I need to take somebody else with me to Kenya. He had been going over to Kenya and going to different churches, different denominational churches, and sharing the gospel, the message of righteousness by faith, the three angels' message. And uh, he, he had so many churches lined up to speak at, he needed another speaker. And so he said, I'm scrolling through my phone this morning, and your name just stands out to me, and I believe God is saying, you need to go to Kenya with me. And I said to him, John, that sounds good, but I didn't hear God tell me that. I said, he said, will you pray about it? I said, I'll, I'll pray about it. I will pray about it. I told my wife about it, and she says, honey, how are you going to do this? I mean, you, you're going to leave for three weeks. You're going to get back. You're leaving to go to uh, another state in, over to Colorado to do a week of revival, uh, prayer meeting on revival. Do you have your meetings ready? And I said, I don't. Well, how, how can you do this? I said, I don't know. I said, perhaps if I go, God will give it to me while I'm there. Oh, I don't want you to be presumptuous. Just pray your way through this. I said, I will. And so after spending a couple of days praying, again, I was in the book of Acts, and I'm reading through the book of Acts, and I remember it said that they lacked nothing. As they gave their all to God, as they stepped out in faith, they lacked nothing. I told my wife that morning, I said, honey, I'm going to go. And so I bought a ticket uh, and I uh, packed my stuff and I went. And John told me, he says, all right, so this is how it's going to work. Uh, we'll spend a couple of days uh, hanging out together. Uh, you'll, you'll see how I, I minister to the people, how I work with them. Because uh, it's, like, it's not like here. You don't walk into a church like this. You walk into a, a, a church that's got mud floors and just block walls or just mud walls and a metal roof and no windows and you know as you're in there sitting preaching the word of God the chickens walk in and the dogs come in and they, they shoo them out you know it's not like a church like this and he's preparing me for all this stuff and 
he's telling me this, and, and so I'm, I'm kind of anxious, getting ready to go there and experience it with him. And we get in to Nairobi. We drive eight hours to our destination. We stay the night. We get up in the morning, and he says, look, things changed. I'm like, what do you mean things changed? He says, I got to go. I'll see you in two weeks. He says, your interpreter will be here in a couple hours. He speaks English. Don't worry about it. And uh, he'll just, he's got the list of churches to take you to every day, so I'll, it, it'll work out. Really? Well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, God's about to take me on a journey of building my faith and my confidence in him. I don't speak Swahili. And every day, my interpreter would come. I'd get on the back of that motorcycle and go where I never knew I was at. We'd come up to roads with no signs. We'd go on little dirt paths, and boom, there's a church. Each day, week after week. After two weeks, we joined up together, and boy, did we have some stories to tell. One of the things I understood while I was there was the need for the Word of God. Every church I went to, the people would come and there might be one or two people out of 30 or 40 that had a Bible. And so John and I, we, we talked about this, and he had done this before. We bought Bibles in Swahili. And I would take 10 with me to every church I went to. And the first time I did this, he told me, he says, you know, when you go, just ask the pastor, and he'll know who to give them to. I did that one time, and while I was watching him hand them out, the Lord convicted me. He's showing favoritism. Don't do it like that again. So that evening, I called John. I said, John, we can't do it like this. I said, look, tear, have them, everybody write their names on a piece of paper, put it in a bag, and draw their name, and that's who gets the Bible. And so that's how we did it. And these people hungered for the Word of God. And every time I'd pull somebody's name out and I read it, they would jump for joy. They would begin to cry. They would come forward and they'd grab that Bible and they would hold it like a newborn baby. And there was a condition upon them receiving that Bible and it was this. They were responsible for gathering a group of people with them and sharing the living word with others. If they would take on that responsibility, they could have that Bible. And everybody said yes came a point where we ran out of Bibles. I called my wife. I said, sweetie, I need you to do a little fundraising back in Edwardsburg. We were attending Edwardsburg Church at that time. I said, I need you to tell them we need Bibles. So ask them if they'll take up an offering. She went to church that Sabbath, raised $1,000 for Bibles. She wired it over to us. We bought more Bibles and continued to give them out for the next week. We spent three weeks there. The Lord blessed us abundantly why because we're willing to go willing to do willing to step out in faith willing to trust god in in circumstances that did not look very favorable and the lord blessed us this morning i want to look at three stories in the bible three faith building stories one after another each one of these stories will find are, are unique in themselves, but yet have a great deal to do with our salvation and our journey home to the kingdom of heaven. Three stories. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 17. We're going to start right there. Luke 17. 
Luke chapter 17. I'm going to start with verse 11. Are we there? Amen? All right. This is the healing of the ten lepers. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, and he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there he met ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourself to the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were what? Cleansed. And one of them, as he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a what? A Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has done what? Thy faith has made thee whole. Now I want you to think about this story. Think about the, the, the leprosy that people were stricken with. The Bible would tell us that leprosy is, is symbolic of sin. Now, we're all smitten with sin in our lives. And this, is a, this comes from Education, page 28. It says, sin not only shuts us away from God. Remember, they stood afar off. Sin separates us from our Creator. Sin not only shuts us away from God, but it destroys in the human soul both the desire and capacity for knowing Him. I just want to stop there for a minute read that again. Sin not only separates us from God, but it destroys in the human soul both the desire and the capacity for knowing him. If somebody listening today, if you're struggling with reading your Bible, if you're struggling with devotional time, if you're struggling with getting to know God, perhaps there's a sin in your life that is separating you and keeping you from doing that. But in this story, we can be assured that God wants to set us free from that. It goes on to say, all of this work of evil that is Christ's mission to undo the faculties of the soul, paralyzed by sin, the darkened mind, the perverted will, he has power to invigorate and to restore. He opens to us the riches of the universe and by him the power to discern and to appropriate these treasures is imparted. That's book, uh, Education, page 28. 28. And so, just like leprosy, sin in our lives that separates us from God, he's willing to undo and bring healing and cleansing to the soul. And they lifted up their voice and they said, Jesus, Master. Now I want you to see something here in this verse. They didn't say, Jesus, have mercy on me. They said, Jesus, Master. They recognized that he had authority over their lives. They finally come to a point of submission, surrender. There was nowhere else for them to go. There was nothing else they could do. There was no healing for their sin-sick soul. But they came to the one that was not only the Savior and Lord, but the great physician that could do abundantly above all that they could ask or think. And so have you come to the point in your lives, friends, where Jesus is 
not only Savior, but Master and Lord of your life. You see, when we come to that point, then He can do some great work in our lives. He can cleanse, He can heal, He can restore. But we have to go. Where do we have to go? He told him, go, show yourself to the priest. Where's our high priest today, friends? Where is he at? He's in a heavenly sanctuary. What's he doing? What's happening today in the Advent world that we know of? The cleansing of the sanctuary, right? You know what, friends? Jesus bought and paid for our sins. He wants us to give them to him. What greater joy can we have but to surrender all to him? Give it to him. What is he convicting you of? Give it to him. Surrender it. He wants to wash it away. He wants to cleanse the sanctuary. He wants to cleanse your life. He wants to bring healing and restoration. He wants to prepare you for translation or the resurrection of the just. But we have to go in faith to the heavenly sanctuary. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It means there's an opening of the heart to God as to a friend. You can share anything with him. Not long ago, I was talking to a man. He was, he was struggling with suicidal thoughts. He had tried to take his life several times. He did not believe that he could, he could talk to God. He could just talk to God. And so he would come and he would talk to me. And we would we'd work through things. And, and a couple times, about two, three times this happened. And one day I was sitting on the steps with him talking to him. And I said, you know, you can just talk to Jesus about this. No, I can't. He won't hear me. He won't listen. I said, oh, I, I'm sure he will. And then God gave me a thought. I said, I asked him, I said, hey, let me ask you a question. I said, while you're sharing with me and telling me these things, do you think God's listening? Yeah. I said, then, then why, why don't you just talk to him? I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home and, and sit a chair in front of you and then sit on another chair and look at that chair and in faith, invite Christ to sit there and talk to him and share with him the burdens of your heart. Share with him the things that are, that are weighing you down. Share with him the things that you, you, you feel guilty and ashamed about. Oh, he won't forgive me. I said, try it. Just try it. I, I, I want to encourage you, just do it. I said, he's already listening to you. You just told me he was listening to you. So he's already hearing you. The next week, he walked in the church. His face is lit up. He's smiling so, so big. He says, I did it. I did it. I said, what did you do? He said, dude, I did what you told me to do. He's forgiven me. I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God has taken this man on a journey, a faith journey. Friends, he opened his heart to God. He, owned, he took ownership of the things of, he had done in his life. And when he did that, God could heal him. God could cleanse him. You see, that, that verse there means we have to take ownership of the things that we have done and be responsible. Because if we're like little Johnny, who's constantly getting caught in the candy store stealing and his mother finally blurts out to him and says, Johnny, you're a thief. And he says, no, Mom, I just take things once in a while. You know, God can't help little Johnny because he's not taking ownership of his issues in life. 
God doesn't condemn. God came to save. So friends, when we go and show ourselves to the high priest, he can cleanse us. He can restore us. And look, this is what he wants to do. He wants you to understand and I to understand that each day we have a new beginning. When we go to him in faith, the Bible says in Romans, we're justified as we trust in his atoning sacrifice in our behalf, as we confess our sins, we are washed, we are cleansed, we start anew again. Amen? This is good news. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of messed up things in my life. And even week by week, I still come short. And so I'm glad I can get up in the morning, I can open my heart to God as to a friend, and I can have a new beginning. There is no greater news, there is no... No, no greater joy to experience. What else is there to share but this good news of the gospel with others, amen? So that they can have the great hope. How many people are weighed down by shame and guilt in our world today? So we have to go, friends. We have to go and show ourselves to the high priest. Day by day, we go to him in faith. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that we have a high priest in heaven which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted at all points like as we are yet without sin. So it tells us to come boldly with assurance, with confidence to that throne of grace that we may receive help in our time of need. I don't know about you, but every day I have something I'm in need of. Even little things. Even things I don't even know I need. I remember one time I was doing prison ministry with my friend Lemuel Vega, and I was a bachelor at this time, and, and I, I ran out of dishwashing liquid and so, being a bachelor, I just used laundry detergent to wash my dishes. You know, I'm just getting by. And one day, at, uh, I got up at his house, and we were having breakfast, and his wife walked out, came out of the pantry with a big bottle of Dawn dishwashing liquid. She didn't know I needed dishwashing liquid, but God did. And she said, can you use this? I said, yeah, I can use that. I'm thinking to myself, praise the Lord, he cares about the little things in life. Yes, every detail of your life he is interested in. And so we must go and show ourselves to the priest. This is the beginning of our journey. This is, this is our beginning of our walk with God. It's something we all have to start right there. If we haven't started, you have to start there. And you know what? You've got to go back there every day and begin again because it's part of our journey. Go, show yourself to the priest. The next story. Let's go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Remember, Jesus told, Jesus told him, your faith has made you whole. John chapter 9. This is the story of the blind man. Now, I talked about this blind man a couple weeks ago, but we're going to gather a little more out of this story. And it came to pass by, John chapter 9, verse 1, and, it came as, and as Jesus passed by, I'm sorry, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor, nor his, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must, work while, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night comes when no man can work, and as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and he made some clay and out of the out of uh, the spittle, and he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay. And he told him to go 
and wash. Now, in both these stories, it just did not make sense. When the lepers came to him, he said, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And and I'm sure they heard many a times how he laid his hands on the sick and he healed them, how he would pray and cast out demons and devils. But here, just like the leper, that he would tell to go, he would tell the blind man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. It just does not make sense. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that doesn't add up. I didn't understand how it was going to work when I went to Kenya, how I was going to come back with a week full of messages for revival meetings. But it worked out. Because every time I went to a church, God gave me a message, and it became part of that week of revival. But I didn't know. It did not make sense for the lepers to be told, go, show yourself to the priest. What was that going to do? But as they acted on the word of God, they were cleansed. As we act on the word of God, we are cleansed. The man was born blind. We are spiritually blind, as I emphasized the other week. We are born spiritually blind. We need our eyes anointed with eye salve. We need to be washed by the word. And so when he went and he washed, he came back seeing. You see, the word washes us. It cleanses us. But we have to respond to the word. We have to, we have to take the word and make it part of our life. You know, when you eat something, it becomes part of who you are, right? You eat some food, it breaks down, it becomes energy, it brings nutrition into your body. It makes good blood, hopefully, best that, based upon what you're eating. <laughs> and so... I remember, it says in Psalms 119.9, How shall a young man be cleansed from his ways? By giving heed thereto according to the word. We're born again by the word of God. How many of you want to be born again? Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. We have to have this experience, friends. We not only receive Jesus as our Savior, we not only receive the forgiveness of sins, but we have to be born again in the journey in life. We are transformed by the living word, but it has to become part of our life. We have to let it navigate and guide our life. We have to accept the counsel. We have to give heed to the warning. We have to receive the promise. We have to obey the command. It's all a part of God's work in restoring us back to his image and his likeness. I remember the promise in Proverbs 3, verse 4 through 6. says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. I remember when I was living in Edwardsburg, my wife and I, we lived in a little, little home on the lake. It was very nice, beautiful. Every day we'd see the sunrise over the lake. There were no houses on the other side that we would have to see. It, just, it was beautiful. And she said, honey, let's move to Berrien Springs. I'm like, I don't want to live in Berrien Springs. You know, why do, why do you want to live in Berrien Springs? Oh, come on, let's do, I seen a nice house up there. It's a little bit bigger. We did have a small house. We were outgrowing it. And uh, it was just a little two-bedroom home and one room <laughs> and one bathroom. And my son there and my wife and I, it was, it, we did need something a little bigger. So I said, well, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure about it. I said, I work in St. Joe. Most of my work's there and down in South Bend. This is kind of a central point for me. She said, will you pray about it? I'm like, all right, okay, I'll pray about it. 
And we prayed about it and prayed about it. And I said, you know what? I said, I'll tell you what. I'm open to it. If you, if you find a job in Berrien Springs, that'd be, it'd be a purpose for us to live there. Okay, she said. Two days later, she comes back. She said, I found a job in Berrien Springs. What? Oh, my. So I'm, I'm back to my prayer journey again with God. And, and she, uh, a friend of hers that she was uh, acquainted with had a home over off of our Snyder Road, a nice farmhouse, a uh, little bigger than what I wanted, uh, and, but it was a nice home. And she says, come on, let's check it out. I'm like, okay, we looked at it. I'm like, oh, I don't want to live here. It's too big, and, you know, there's a lot of yard work, and I don't want to have to deal with that. And, oh, will you pray about it? Okay, I'll pray about it. So one day I'm sitting on the back of my tailgate at a job site, and I'm framing up some uh, material, some doors, and uh, I'm taking my lunch break. And I'm sitting there, and these little chipmunks are running around. And one runs behind the wood pile. And I thought to myself, you know what? All nature obeys God. You know, we're the only ones that are stubborn and resist them. But all nature, when God speaks, it does what he wants it to do. And I thought to myself, Lord, if, if you really want us to move there, if you want, want us to move there, then have that little chipmunk come out and come out here in front of me, you know, and, and then I know you, you, you want me to, you want us to move into that house. You know, it was a specific prayer, you know, and like, really, that's going to happen, right? So, you know, I threw that out there as a fleece. I'm sitting there eating my lunch, and probably within, oh, one minute after praying that prayer, that little chipmunk sticks his head around the corner, and then he comes out, and he climbs through my skill saw right on the handle, and he's looking at me, and I'm thinking to myself, this is interesting, and then he comes over, and he climbs right up on the door jams that's about two feet in front of me, looks right up at me, and then he runs under my feet under the truck, and I thought to myself, oh, mercy, all right, Lord, I give up. So we move. We move to Barron Springs. Like I said, I don't want to live in Barron Springs. There's so many Adventists here. They didn't need another Adventist. And so it's January, and I was contracting some work with this one uh, construction owner, construction company. And um, he calls me out of the blue, and he says, Dennis, uh, I'm, I'm not going to need you anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm one of your main guys. And he says, well, I, I just don't need you anymore. I said, are you out of work? No, I'm not out of work. Okay. We've been, I mean, I've known this person for 15 years. We've had good re work relationships in the past. I just couldn't, I was scratching my head. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't want to dig too deep and find out what the problem was, but okay, fine. So I knelt down and prayed, Lord, what, what's going on? You had us move here and now, now this and... It's wintertime, and there's not a lot of construction going on right now. So I went for a walk in the orchards because there was five orchards or five acres of orchards there on our property. And I'm walking through the snow, and I'm thinking to myself, why would you have me move here? You already knew this was going to happen. I was in a better situation for this to happen where I was living before. And what God put on my heart was this. If you cannot trust me now, how will you trust me in the time of trouble? And I thought to myself, fair enough. You know, God was seeking to cleanse me from 
self-confidence, from trusting in the arm of flesh, and leaning on the arm of God is what he wanted. And so the word of God would tell us in Jeremiah 17, curses is the man that puts his trust in the arm of flesh whose heart departs from the Lord. And I, unknown, unbeknown to me, my heart was departing from the Lord. I was more and more confident in what I was doing in life and, and doing my own thing. But God wanted me to understand the importance of dependence on him. And so it's a prayer journey, friends. And so each day, we have to have that prayer journey. Again, in the word of God, we have to go there. We have to ask him, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What do you need me to accomplish for you? I knelt down and I prayed and asked the Lord, what did you want me to do? And he put a burden on my heart once I finished that project for him. I got a phone call for work and I never ran out of work again. Even through the 08 crash, I had more work than I could handle. But God was faithful, but he was leading me to trust and obey. Last story. Turn with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17. It was that faith of that man going to the pool that made him whole. 1 Kings chapter 17. This is the story of the widow woman. Elijah himself had a faith-building journey. And at the end times... Jesus would say it's the spirit of Elijah that will come upon God's end time people and they will have that same journey as Elijah did himself. And the word of the Lord, starting with verse 8, chapter 17, verse 8, and the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, unto him, saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and he said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a curse. And behold... I'm gathering two sticks that I may go and dress it for me and my son that we may eat and die. Now look what Elijah says here. Fear not. Fear what? Not. That's a promise. Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it to me, and after make it for thee and for thy son. Now, if I was to show up at your house and we were living in a time of famine, which I do believe our world is headed towards, as soon we will, I don't know how soon, but there will eventually be a great crash. There's a lot of chaos happening in our world today. There may be a famine in the land. And if I was to come to your house and you're making your last meal for you and your family and I was to tell you, hey, look, um, make some for me first. Bring me something first. And then make it for you and your family. Fear not. What would you do? Would you invite me in or would you just shut the door? Yeah, shut the door. Thank you for being honest, sister. 
hey, human nature would say, shut the door, right? You're out of your mind. I'm feeding my family. It did not make sense, but God wanted to build her faith. God wanted to strengthen her. God wanted to give her a living experience because she was in need of it. Actually, her heart was crying out for something else in life. Remember, Elijah was told by God, go, I have commanded a widow woman there to feed you. God put faith in that woman's heart, but she needed to exercise it. She didn't realize it was there, but it is there for each and every one of us. Romans 12, 3, it says, faith, God has dealt a measure of faith to every man. And it's up to us to exercise that faith so that it will grow. For as Elijah says to her, fear not, go and do as thou said, but make me therefore a little cake first and bring it unto me and afterwards for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the bare meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. She lacked nothing because she grasped the promise of God. She acted in faith and God did for her what she could not have done for herself. Do you, you know, friends, that promise in Malachi 3, chapter 10 and 11 you know, that says, bring ye all your tithe and your offering into the storehouse. And he says, prove me now therewith, and I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so large upon you that your barns will not be able to keep it. And he promises to rebuke the devourer and that you're, you will prosper. You know, that promise is there is to build our faith, to increase our faith. And it's as we act upon it, we get to see God working mightily in our behalf. It may not make sense. I can tell you when I'm studying the Bible, somebody that's on a fixed income, like on disability, and I come to this part in their journey, I know that all along, if I had not connecting them with Jesus in each study and building their confidence in God, when they got here, they would be totally discouraged and they would not follow through. Recently, I've been studying with the Bible with a young man, and he's pretty much on a very low income, not a fixed income, but a low income. And we came to this part of discussion, and I told him about this story. And I said, when you put God first, when you put God first with whatever little you have, God can do great things for you. But if you withhold that, no matter how much you have, it will never be enough. I know a businessman who is backslidden. He makes more money than in a week than probably 10 people in this room combined. And yet, he never has enough. He's always, it's like holes in his pocket. The more money he makes, the more it runs out, just disappears into nothingness. But if he would put God first, he could do great things for the Lord. I remember when I was homeless, living in a homeless shelter after I got out of federal prison. 
And one of the prerequisites for me to live there at that homeless shelter is I had to save 75% of my income. And every month I'd be called in for an interview with my counselor to see how I was doing. And I had gotten a job, I had bought a car, I was buying tools, I was getting into construction work. And as she was going over my finances, she was noticing very clearly I was far from meeting the 75% that was required for me to stay there. And she said to me, Dennis, um, you know, you need to do better here. I said, well, yeah, I know I'm doing the best I can. She said, what is this, this tithe and offering? What is this? I said, well, that's, a, that's a, uh, a command by God given in the Bible. Actually, it's more than a command. It's a promise. And she says, look, I think God would understand that you're in a situation and there are rules here in order for you to stay. And so I advise you to just let that go and focus on meeting your 75%. And I looked at her. Her name was Carol, uh, Catherine. I said, Catherine, I said, I don't think you understand. I said, God asked so little of me, and he's done so much for me. I said, I'd rather live in the street with God's blessing than in rebellion and comfort. I said, so, no, I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to continue to do it, and you do what you need to do. And she said, you know what? I see you're pretty adamant about this. Do what you can to meet the percentage. You can stay. I said, praise the Lord. And I went my way. You see, friends, sooner or later, we're all going to be put to the test. But every day, a test comes to us. Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be true? And each one of these stories has to do with our growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we can make it home. Each story we have to relive over every day. Each day we need to go to our high priest. Each day we have to be born again. Paul would say, I die daily. So that means he had to be born again. Born by what? By the living word. So each day we need to be in the word. Those people in Kenya, they hungered for the word of God. We are privileged. How many of you have four and five or six Bibles on your shelf at home? You don't need to raise your hand, but I know many of us do. And there's people in the world today, they're starving for the word of God, and we are so privileged to have it, but how often we spend so little time with it. And yes, friends, in our journey in life with God, he's asking for everything. Why? Because he's given everything. What does he withhold from us? What is it? Romans 8, 32. He says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give you and I all things? When we put it all on the altar for him, he will open up ways like we've never imagined. He will make a way out of no way. Every promise in the Bible is there for us to exercise in faith. Have you ever read this book, Pilgrim's Progress? How many of you read this book? How many of you heard about it? I want to encourage you. There's actually, they have it on uh, audio. It's about eight hours of audio. But I want to encourage you to get it. You can download it on an MP3, perhaps, or you can purchase it. But I want to encourage you to get it and listen to it, or get the book and read it with your family. It's an allegory. Written by John Bunyan. And in the story, each person has a character. Uh, each, per, each character has a name, such as Christian, hopeful, fearful, and so on. 
Well, in this story, there's a place called Doubting Castle. And on their journey, they wander off the straight and narrow path that they were told to stay on. And they would find themselves being captured by King Despair and taken to Doubting Castle and locked up in the dungeon. Each day, King Despair would come and visit them, and he would torture them and beat them. And all they could do was focus on their circumstances. All they could do was look at the despair. All they could do was focus on the discouragement. And the more they did that, the more grievous things got for them in life. Then one day, Krishna remembered the good example of Paul and Silas. Now I'm going to just read a little bit from here in closing. Christian remembered the good example of Paul and Silas in their prison and determined that he, too, would consult duty rather than inclination. Therefore, near midnight, the prisoners began to sing hymns and to praise God and to pray without ceasing. And as they did so, their courage began to rise and rise again, higher and still higher, until Christian declared, What a fool! What? Ask Hopeful. Amazed at the strength of his partner's voice, what a fool I've been, he exclaimed again, even more loudly, to lie here in, in a stinking, stinking dungeon when I might just as easily have walked at liberty. What are you saying, asked Hopeful, fearing Christian's mind had at last long snapped. Look, look, said Christian, reverently pulling something from around his neck. "'Tis too dark to see,' Hopeful reminded his companions, still fearing for Christian sanity and yet hoping against hope that something good was in the wind. "'Here, feel this,' Christian said, handing over his precious treasure, hands trembling with excitement. "'Why, tis a key,' marveled Hopeful. "'A tiny, rusty-feeling key. "'Ah, rusty, because it is in my stupidity I have not used it sooner.'" What key is this? Tis called the key of promise. The key of promise? What is it for? The key is given to pilgrims to make them partakers of the divine nature, he says. Christian answered confidently. Also to give them power over all evil and to release them from any look, any, and for release them from any lock made in the land of doubt by King Despair. Oh, he said, will it unlock this key? Will it unlock the lock on our shackles? And Christian said, I think it may. It's just a tiny, rusty key. And he worked his way down to his shackles, and he got it in there, and he turned it. He says, I think it's going to go, and snap, it opened the lock. They were rejoicing. He made his way over to his friend, got in his shackles, and unlocked him. And they got to the door and they felt around the lock because it was dark in there. There was no light they could not see. Hopeful said to him, Christian, Christian, this lock is much bigger for your tiny rusty key. And Christian said to him, ah, but the key will grow as the promise of God has been given. Yes, friends, the promises 
in the Word of God are like keys to go in any lock of circumstances that you and I will face, and they can be small, challenging circumstances, and we can use a small key, or we may have to dig in our bag of promise and pull out a larger set of keys for whatever we may face in life, but I can tell you and be assured that the promises of God will get you through any challenge you face, through any circumstances you are involved in, anything you are raveled up in. You can go to the Word of God and you can extract that promise and you can put it in the, in the lock and you can turn the key and you can be free from doubt, despair, unbelief, or whatever it may be in your life. Yes, friends, God's got promises for each and every one of us, but we got to harvest them from the Word of God. And so I want to make a challenge to you today. How many are up for a challenge? You're like, what's it going to be? I'm not raising my hand until I hear it. <laughs> All right, this isn't difficult. One promise a week. Do you think you can harvest out of the Word of God one promise a week? Can you do that? How many of you can do that? One promise a week. That's not hard. One, I'm not saying one an hour or one a day. One a week. One promise a week. Can you do it? I encourage you to do it. Write it down on a piece of paper. Memorize it. The following week, harvest out another promise and put it right beside that one and then say them together. All right? Say your old, your first promise, then your second promise. The next week, do it again. Go over each promise, memorizing them. When I was in, in school, I had to memorize 45 to 50 verses every week. And not just orally say them, but I had to write them out by hand, word for word. And this is how I did it. I would just start with that one verse. And I would say it, memorize it. Then I'd add the other verse. And I'd say it, and I'd memorize it. And then I would say the one before it. And I would do it again until I had all 50 verses memorized for my test that week. So that I could walk in and I could handwrite them all out. And every week, by the grace of God, he would bring it back to my remembrance. And I had it. Friends, the promises of God's word are there for us to give us courage and hope to face tomorrow. But if we're not harvesting them out, if we're not putting them here, if we're not living them out, then the transformation in our life will not happen. And we won't make it home. Remember, these are precious promises that we might be partakers of the divine nature of God. So I encourage you, dig deep. Place them in your heart. Recall them. And when you find yourself in a straight, narrow place and you don't know how it's going to work out, kneel down and pray and God will bring the promise home. Let us sing our closing hymn.